Welcome to the Compass Christian Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. For more information, visit us at compasslu.org. All right. Well, this morning I wanted to talk about something a little different. Uh, I don't know how many of you have heard a sermon on Sukkot before, but we're going to be talking about uh, the Feast of Booze. Uh, I thought it was fitting since we're in a synagogue to talk about the festival that's going to be going on this week at this synagogue. And in fact, if after the service you want to go out into uh, different parts, I think outside the synagogue, you will find people setting up their booths, setting up their tents uh, to get ready for the celebration, this feast that they'll be celebrating all week. And so I thought it would be fun to go through that. Uh, but before we get specifically into the Feast of Booths or Sukkot, uh, I wanted to give a brief overview of the Jewish calendar for those of you who aren't quite as familiar with all the different festivals, and this is not an exhaustive list of the modern Jewish festivals, but you can see we've got some things listed up there, and you can also see, like you're at the mall or someplace, we got a very helpful You Are Here sign uh, right above Sukkot. We're not quite there, but we're going to get there tonight, um, and so there we are. Uh, we're at Sukkot. So the first one here is Shabbat, and Shabbat is a weekly observance um, every Saturday, and there are some high Shabbats as well, but it's a day of rest. And it commemorates uh, God resting on the seventh day from the work of creation. Uh, You've got Rosh Hashanah, which is the Jewish New Year. And that was a couple weeks ago on September 25th through the 27th. And then there's Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement, which was actually uh, October 4th and 5th, so earlier this week. Um, And then you get to what we're talking about today, Sukkot. Um, And then there's a couple more that are coming later in the year. Uh, Hanukkah, uh, which many of us are more familiar with because it's like the Jewish analog to Christmas. And Hanukkah is a festival celebrating liberation from oppression. Uh, It's celebrating freedom of worship and finding light in the darkest times. And this is, I think, more of a a modern Jewish celebration. Uh, There's uh, Purim, a day celebrating the saving of the Jews from Uh, the diabolical plot uh, during the time of Esther. And just as an aside, uh, if you haven't read Esther or you haven't read Esther recently, I highly recommend it. If you are interested in a biblical, true historical story uh, that's full of, uh, I think, really great irony and poetic justice, uh, if that feels good, you know, check out Esther. Uh, And then the last two, I think we're also pretty familiar with Passover and Pentecost. Uh, Passover is a festival of freedom that marks the Hebrew exodus from Egypt. Um, And we'll talk a little bit about the exodus today. And then there's Shavuot, or as we know it, Pentecost, which was the celebration of the giving of the Torah, and also known as the festival of the first fruits, if you've heard of that. So those are some of the major observances in the Jewish calendar. And it just so happens that our service this morning is the morning before one of their week-long celebrations known as the Feast of Booths or Sukkot. So there were three festivals where every adult male was supposed to attend in the temple, uh, and the Feast of Booths was one of those, along with the last two, Passover and Pentecost. And so if you want to turn with me to Leviticus chapter 23, that's where we'll start with the giving, the original giving of this Feast of Booths. So in modern times, we have um, different holidays or celebrations or things, special days that we mark out as significant 
And similar to our modern observances, there were ancient Hebrew observances uh, that had significance to them. And so I wanted to talk about, uh, in this sermon this morning, what is the Feast of Booths or what was the Feast of Booths? And why is, why is it so important? Why did, they, why did they observe it? And what, as a New Covenant Christian community, what should we do about the Feast of Booths? And so in Leviticus, we're going to read a long section here in Leviticus 23, starting in verse 33. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, and for seven days is the Feast of Booths, to the Lord. On the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. So that's like a Sabbath. You would not do ordinary work. Then verse 36. For seven days you shall present food offerings to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall hold a holy convocation and present a food offering to the Lord. It is a solemn assembly. You shall not do any ordinary work. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim as times of holy convocation, for presenting to the Lord food offerings, burnt offerings and grain offerings, sacrifices and drink offerings, each on its proper day, besides the Lord's Sabbaths and besides your gifts and besides all your vow offerings and besides all your free will offerings, which you give to the Lord. So there's all these other things that you could do also during the feast that weren't technically part of the feast, but they, they sort of carved those out. You could still do those, um, except for working on the Lord's Sabbath, so the Saturdays. Verse 39 says, On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a solemn rest, and on the eighth day shall be a solemn rest. And you shall take on the first day the fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It is a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. Booths are like tents. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Thus Moses declared to the people of Israel the appointed feasts of the Lord. And so there's a couple things going on here. If you've heard of uh, the Feast of Booze before or have done any research on it, you know, there's like the four kinds, which it talks about here, all the different kinds of trees. There are different offerings that were done during this festival. But I really wanted to focus in on this last part of this passage because that's where we see the, the benefit of it for the people of Israel had they kept this feast. And we're going to talk in a minute about how they didn't keep this feast very frequently or to the extent that God wanted them to. Um, but what the, the goal of this was, verse 43 again, that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So one of the big purposes for the Feast of Booths was for them to remember what the original generation that left Egypt felt like being in the wilderness. And that wasn't like to be extra hardship on them just to like, oh, you're going to go through a week of pain every year because they went through pain for 40 years. That wasn't the point. The point was, is what happened to them during these, this period of time in the Exodus? I'm going to review a little bit more of it. But they experienced incredible deliverance many times in a short period of time during the Exodus. Um, and so that was what this was to commemorate. It was to commemorate all the good things that God had done for them during that 40-year period of time in the wilderness 
where God sort of led them through things and, sh- and gave them food miraculously and he gave them water miraculously and he parted the sea for them literally so they could walk on dry land and escaped, escape Egypt. So there are so many things that God did for them and this was to be a week-long celebration of those things, the things that God had done for them. The other thing that it mentions here in, in this passage and it mentions in other passages is that um, it was to be a thanksgiving for the year's harvest and there was al- always a prayer for rain and for provision in the next year. So those are sort of the two aspects. And it's interesting because it's called the Feast of Booze. It's also called the Feast of Ingathering or the Feast of Harvest. Um, so this was sort of like a dual purpose celebration. So in, in some ways it was like a Thanksgiving uh, like we sort of celebrate Thanksgiving where you think about like harvest time and food and family and that sort of a thing. But then there's this extra layer of it of living in a tent for a week and thinking about what the older generation of Hebrews went through during that time in the wilderness for 40 years and being thankful to God for all that he had done for them during that time. So in, in, as, as important as that first one is about Thanksgiving for the year's harvest, prayer for rain, uh, I'm going to focus mostly on the second one. And so I want to go through now some of the basics of the Exodus story to sort of fill out all the things that they would have thought about during this period of time or what God, how God wanted them to experience joy and Thanksgiving during this period of time. So we have some of the items up here about the basics of the Exodus story. So uh, you have... Abraham, Isaac, then Jacob. Jacob gets renamed Israel. Israel has 12 sons. Well, eventually it turns into more than that, uh, 13 tribes. But anyway, because Joseph, his tribe got split. But anyway, there were, there were 12 sons. Joseph was one of them. Uh, his older brothers got jealous. They sold him into slavery. He ends up uh, in slavery for a period of time. He ends up in jail for a period of time. Uh, then miraculously, he gets elevated to being the second in command of all of Egypt uh, because he was able to interpret Pharaoh's dream. Um, and so then because of this, this time of uh, famine that was steadily approaching, uh, his brothers instantly came down to Egypt to buy food from Joseph. And there's this little interesting uh, back and forth that happens in Genesis uh, where Joseph hides who he really is and he sort of tricks his brothers and then uh, they go back and forth and finally he reveals himself. So they eventually come down and they settle in Egypt and they get sort of special privileges. And at that point, the whole uh, population of, of the, the children of Israel is literally the children of the man Israel at that point and, their, and his grandchildren was about 70 or 75 people. And so that's what started the nation that would become Israel in the Old Testament. And so then they lived in Egypt for a period of time, uh, over 200 years. And over time, eventually a pharaoh came that did not know Joseph. And this is, this is sort of the beginning of the book of Exodus. Uh, they, they get ma- made slaves. So they become now slaves for a period of time. And eventually God raises up Moses. And Moses uh, tries to liberate his people at age 40. That doesn't work out very well. He does it his own way. It doesn't work out. He ends up fleeing for 40 years. He comes back age 80, and he starts dealing with Pharaoh and dealing with the people of Israel and trying to help them uh, leave Egypt. Um, And so eventually, after all these plagues happen, uh, they leave. And as they're leaving, the Pharaoh changes his mind one last time, decides to chase them. And this leads to probably the most powerful moment in the entire story of the Hebrew people, which is the crossing of the Red Sea. 
So if you just imagine, you've got this large group of people you're leading out of bondage, out of slavery, into the promised land that has been given to your, your family, your fathers before you. And behind you is probably the largest and best army in the entire world. So depending on how you view the route, uh, they, they, were, they were heading towards water with cliffs behind them. And behind the cliffs was this approaching army. There was literally nowhere to go except for through the water. And that's what God did. He parted the water for them in one of the most amazing miracles that's described in the Bible. And so they cross on dry land and they have the pillar of fire uh, by night and the pillar of cloud by day. And they get water from a rock. They get all these miracles happen. I mean, it's just miracle after miracle after miracle. And they grumble and complain because they're, they're old slaves and they don't, you know, it's like they're, it's hard for them to relate to God the way that he wants to relate to them. But anyway, throughout all this time, throughout this 40-year period, you have this group of people who were living in the wilderness, and they were trying to build a relationship with God. Uh, During this time, I believe, is when Moses uh, wrote the first five books of the Bible we call uh, the Pentateuch, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So during that period of time, all of this work was being done, and this oral tradition which they had grown up with and how they had known Yahweh was now getting put down onto paper, as it were, And that's what we're reading here in Leviticus, is God giving the original Hebrew people coming out of Egypt this law to live by. And and he was doing it for their benefit. And so for 40 years, they didn't have a permanent home. They lived in booths. They lived in tents. And so that was not an easy existence. And they had to fully rely on God for their food, for their water, for everything. It's not like they had running plumbing in the wilderness uh, or nice houses made of brick or something like that. So this was an interesting period of time for them and something that God wanted them to remember all the things that he had done for that original generation as they came out of bondage and out of Egypt. Uh, If you want to turn with me to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 31 Deuteronomy is the re-giving of the law uh, to the next generation, the generation that would actually enter into the promised land. Uh, That original generation disqualified themselves by believing the uh, spies report, the evil report that was given by 10 of the 12 spies. Joshua and Caleb gave good reports and said, God will deliver us. He will deliver this land into our hands. They gave a faith-based response to what was going on. And the other 10 spies said, no, we're too small. These tribes are big. They're they're big people. We can't do it. And the people believed the evil report of the 10 spies. And so Joshua and Caleb got blessed by being able to lead the second generation into the promised land. And so Deuteronomy is um, giving them uh, the Feast of Booths to the second generation. So this is what it says here in Deuteronomy 31, verse 10. It says, And Moses commanded them at the end of every seven years, at the set time in the year of release, at the Feast of Booths. So so Moses is here adding to what he said in Leviticus. He's not amending it. He's adding to it. He's going to add another layer to this. So every seven years there was this year of release. There was a special year which gets described elsewhere. But every seven years at the Feast of Booths, verse 11, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, You shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Assemble the people, men, women, and little ones, 
and the sojourner within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God and be careful to do all the words of this law, and that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. And so here we find uh, in Deuteronomy an addition made to the Feast of Booths that every seventh year there was a special addition made to the Feast of Booths where they were to read the whole law in front of everyone. It was not just the men that were supposed to come, but men and women and children to hear the whole law read so they could understand it and so that they could remember what God had done for them and to have great joy. So the question that we have to ask historically is, did the ancient Hebrew peoples do this? Did they faithfully do the Feast of Booths? Did they faithfully have great joy remembering all God had done for that original generation that had left Egypt? And if we turn to Nehemiah chapter 8, we're going to find that they didn't. I know that's a surprise, uh, given what we know about the Old Testament. But the Old Testament... Um, in many cases is a, a sad story of how the children of Israel repeatedly didn't quite do everything that God wanted them to do. And so uh, this is one example of that. They did not keep the Feast of Booths faithfully. Uh, Nehemiah, uh, incidentally, is about a thousand years after the original giving of the Mosaic Law. So this is a thousand years. So think about, you know, our analog would be like finding... Um, a document that came from the Middle Ages, from like the year uh, 1020, right? Or 10, you know, around that period of time. I mean, that's, that's how old this document was to these people in the time of Nehemiah. So the law had been lost. They had lost the scrolls. They had been in captivity, uh, carried away into Babylon. Um, they had been a broken, suffering people. And now they're starting to rebuild in this Ezra-Nehemiah time frame. They're starting to rebuild uh, the walls around, uh, around the city of Jerusalem. They're starting to rebuild, contemplate rebuilding the temple. And so as they're putting their society back together, there's, there's a lot of pain and suffering in the background there because of what happened in Babylon. And so they find the law. It's like a miracle. They actually can find the law. And they're able to read it again for the first time in, in many years. And it says here in Nehemiah chapter 8, they celebrate the Feast of Booths. Verse 13, it says, On the second day, the heads of fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. So they found Leviticus, what we would call Leviticus chapter 23. That's what they found. And they said, oh, we should celebrate this. You know, we should, we should figure out how to do this. Verse 15, and that they should, shall proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem, go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booze, that is, as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booze for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts, in the courts of the house of God, and the square at the water gate and at the square at the gate of Ephraim, and all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booze and lived in the booze. For from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. 
So what they did is they, they read what Moses had written down in the law. They realized they should celebrate this thing. And then during this festival, they celebrated with great joy like they hadn't experienced before since Joshua, who again was leading the second generation out of Egypt into the promised land. So you're talking about in a thousand years, this feast had not been celebrated to this level. Now we do have in the Bible a couple of instances where it looks like it was celebrated to some degree. It's mentioned like three times. So it, it, was, it had been celebrated a couple times, but it hadn't been celebrated with this much joy. And they read the law, which we saw from the Deuteronomy chapter 31. They read the law and they were able to understand what God wanted them to do and what God had done for them. Because a lot of the law isn't just, we think about law as like, these are things you should do. But the law to them was also historical, what God did for them, how he delivered that original generation. So again, it'd be like us discovering a thousand-year-old document of what God did for some Christians during the Middle Ages <laughs> and how there was a festival that they celebrated, and we should celebrate that festival too. Just to give you a mind picture of what this was like in Nehemiah's time. So it's unbelievable. So now I want to transition to how can we learn from this in a new covenant community? So we live after Christ. Christ has fulfilled the law. And so, you know, even Paul talks about that there's, there's not a need to celebrate certain days or certain seasons like the Jews used to do it. So we don't have to do it that way. But I also want to point out that the Bible never says that there's anything wrong with getting in a tent camping out for a week, remembering what God did for the people of, of Israel during this period of time. There's literally nothing wrong with that. So if you want to, to build a sukkah, uh, and if you want to camp out in your backyard all week, go for it. I think that's great. I don't think there's anything wrong with doing that. Um, and if you want to see how uh, our friends here at Kenneth do it, like I said, you can go back there and, and check that out after the service. Uh, but I do think that there are uh, other ways that we can think about how to apply this in a, in a post-Pentecost Christian community. And one way to do this is to see the Feast of Booths as a time to celebrate everything that God has done for us as individuals. It reminds me of Psalm 103, verse 2, which says, we are not to forget all of his benefits. So everything that God does for us, we don't have to remember all of them. We probably don't even know all of them, if we're honest, the things that God does for us. But even though the things that we recognize, we don't have to remember all of them. God wants us just not to forget all of them. And so the Feast of Booths, in my mind, is a great time for us to reconsider what are the things that God has done for us in our, in our past. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about um, in our church community, we recently had a child, Sophia, who celebrated her first birthday. And the interesting thing about first birthdays, those of you who've had kids, is that kids with first birthdays don't have friends. <laughs> right? It's not that Sophia's unpopular. She was very popular. Her, her party was stacked. Her party was stacked with her parents' friends. <laughs> Sophia doesn't have friends right now, and that's fine. She's not, it's not age-appropriate to have real friends at this time of life. She's a little over one now. But the first, the first birthday to me is more about the mom. Look what God did for the mom. Look what God did for the dad. What has this last year meant to them as a couple? 
And for me, the Feast of Booths is like that. We can remember times like that where God has blessed us. Uh, there have been times in my life where uh, God has saved my life. Uh, like, for example, one time I was driving in Nashville, and I had this thought to slow. I was driving to Bible study, actually, although I think it could have happened at any time. It's not just because I was trying to be holy or something that particular day. Uh, but I was driving to Bible study, and Nashville has some weird uh, intersections where you're on the highway, and you're like two highways combined, and they uncombine and recombine, and it's, it's sort of a mess. But anyway, I'm, I'm on one of these interchanges about to go over a bridge, and I had the thought to slow down. And so I was like, huh, that's weird. And as I was contemplating, like, why should I slow down? This is super weird. A semi veered into my lane right before this bridge. So if I had been, where, you know, going the speed that I had been going, I would have been right next to the semi and would have been run off the road. And there was like a, a 20-foot drop, concrete drop right next to that. So I avoided that. So I still think about that sometimes when I'm driving because I'm thankful for what God did for me. And, you know, all of us have had moments like that in our lives where God has done something supernatural for us to bless us specifically. And I think that that's that's wonderful for us to remember just generally. But I think the Feast of Booze uh, provides us for a good time to be thoughtful and and think about that. But I think that there is another level here that I want to talk about, and that is that... um, Everything that happened in the Hebrew Israelite uh, historical period of time that we see in the Bible, so many of those things that happened in the, what we call the Old Testament, what our friends here would call the Jewish scriptures, so many of these things uh, that get laid out for us are not meant to be taken literally anymore. There is what's called typology, which means that What happened then was a type for what we have now. And so what I want to talk about now is that the first exodus, when the original people of God left Egypt, they left physical slavery behind. They left physical bondage behind. God literally made a way for them. He literally lit their path, right? All those things we can understand spiritually through Christ. And so I want to take some time to unpack that. I'll give you another example. Uh, Paul says very explicitly in several places that Adam's fall, for example, Adam sinned, and because of that sin, evil and death entered into the world. And what happened? He tells us, Paul tells us that when Christ died and resurrected, that was undone, right? So you have the type, which is Adam. He did the wrong thing. Then you have Jesus, he undid it. He did the right thing. So that's, that's sort of like an opposites kind of a thing. So typology can go that way. But the other way typology can go, or another way that it can go, is it can be this event literally happened, and then through Christ it spiritually happened. So in this case, the type is the nation of Israel. They were physically slaves. They were physically in bondage. God physically rescued them by sending a leader, performing miracles, pulling them physically out of Egypt and into the promised land. He physically guided them with the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. And he delivered them quite physically into the land of promise, the promised land. And I, of course, I agree that this happened historically. These are real historical events that actually happened. But the corresponding part of this is what we would call the anti-type. And the anti-type is the church, the people who follow Jesus. So before accepting Christ, it says in Romans 6, we're all slaves to sin. 
We're all in bondage before we accept Christ. And at some point, we make the decision to accept Jesus as our Lord, and we follow him. And when we do that, we start heading toward the promised land. And in my mind, the fullness of the promised land is the kingdom of God in the future, when Jesus Christ comes back and he restores everything on a restored earth. But what we do is we leave whatever our personal Egypt was, whatever it was that we dealt with, we try as much as we can with Christ's help, with God's help, to leave that in our past and to march forward toward the promised land. Knowing that we may not make it in our lifetimes, Jesus Christ may not return, we may not, we may not see the fullness of that deliverance in our lifetimes, but that we head towards that. We, we march towards that with God's help and with Christ's help. And sometimes there's some aspects of that deliverance that's immediate. And we have people here in this congregation that could tell you of immediate deliverance that they've received. And sometimes that deliverance is progressive over time. And so I don't want to minimize those possibilities. But regardless, coming to Christ means that we're no longer in charge of our own lives. So think about the people of Israel as they're leaving Egypt. Did they have sushi out in the wilderness? Did they have steak out in the wilderness? Did they have wine out in the wilderness? No. They had manna. They had water. They occasionally had quail, apparently. Uh, But that was about it. They were limited. And they were fully reliant on God throughout all of that time, physically to feed them. Right? And now, what about our lives? What, what about our lives? We should have the same reliance on God that they had. We should display the same type of reliance that they did spiritually, that we spiritually rely on God and on our Lord Jesus Christ, just like they relied on God physically. You know, we, we are not in the fullness of the kingdom right now, so we will face trials. We will face tribulation in life. Um, in fact, I often say that that's one of my favorite uh, promises of Jesus in John 16 is that we will face tribulation. <laughs> you want to talk about the promises of our Lord, that's one of them. <laughs> um, so, so that's what I think about when I think about the, something like the Feast of Booze is that there is the story of the people of God that's laid out for us in Scripture. And there are ways that we can live it now that's beyond the physical. It's spiritual. And that's why Paula picked a lot of the great songs that she picked today for our service is that we want to leave our Egypt behind. We want to leave that captivity behind and we want to walk in the freedom that we've been given in Christ. And that freedom, as it says in Galatians, is to serve one another in love. I want to close by addressing people who don't feel, maybe they feel like they're still in Egypt uh, and they're thinking about uh, contemplating following Jesus. Or maybe they feel like, They've just begun and and the army's behind them and they haven't crossed the Red Sea yet. And and they're sort of in between, in that in-between phase. And so if you are still considering Jesus, if you're still trying to decide if you really want to give up the things that you'll have to give up to leave Egypt behind. And I get it. There are things that we all have to lay down at the foot of the cross to follow Jesus. It has to happen. There are things in our lives before we follow Jesus that have to go away. But I'm just going to address the people uh, online or wherever you are watching this in the future, that if you have not left Egypt in your own lives yet, I urge you to consider following Jesus and leaving that Egypt behind. Because no matter how important you think it is, whatever it is that you're holding on to that's not following Christ, it's not worth it. 
it's not worth it. Even if you have to leave something behind, everything is better when you come to Christ. It won't always be easy. In fact, like I said just a second ago, Jesus promises it won't be easy. But our God and our Lord can lead you into a more complete existence now in this life where you receive benefits of following Jesus and seeing all that God has in store for you, what he wants for you, which is better than anything that you could decide for yourself. And then you have the age to come, the kingdom of God. And it says that it'll take God eternity to show us all the greatness and the love and the mercy that he has towards us in the kingdom. And so that's what I want to leave us with today is, is, that, is that we can do this. We can keep marching toward that promised land and we will face difficulties in life. But our God and our Lord are with us and they will always give us what we need, whether it's the manna, whether it's the quail, whether it's the water, whatever it is. We will have it. And to me, that's what the Feast of Booths is all about. It's about remembering what God has done for us collectively in Christ. It's about remembering what God has done for us individually. And so will you join me in prayer? Father, we just thank you for what you did for your people. Um, Lord, they faced amazing odds, fighting one of the largest countries and trying to leave captivity and God, you just did so many amazing things for them. You parted the sea for them. You gave them light in the darkness. You gave them food to eat and water to drink. In the wilderness, you provided for your people. And Lord, we ask you to provide for us today. We ask you to continue to give us greatly of your mercy and of your grace and to show us how we can continue to leave our Egypts behind so that we can show others the way to you uh, through your son, Jesus. And so we just, our, our hearts just are lifted up to you today. And we're so thankful for this opportunity that we have to be in a relationship with you, to follow your son, and to see your will done in our lives more and more every day. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thanks for listening to the Compass Christian Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. For more information on how we are striving to follow Jesus together here in Louisville, Kentucky, check out our website, compasslu.org, where you can subscribe to our newsletter and view additional resources.